This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. I tell you, it is great to see y'all. How are you feeling this morning? It is an awesome day. And I must say, they always talk about how lively the 11 o'clock group is. Than the nine, and I think it's true. I think y'all beat them a little bit. Um, hey, I want to thank uh, Pastor Rick for asking me to come, fill in for him, uh, fill in for his big shoes this morning. Uh, he's out in sunny California, uh, hopefully enjoying some uh, some visit, visits with some friends and and doing everything you do in California. Never been there. I'm not sure what that would be, but uh, we'll look forward to having him back next week. And uh, I tell you what, we are so fortunate and blessed to have a guy like Rick leading us. Um, I've been a part of several different churches in my time, and I've had a chance to work with a lot of pastors, and we are truly blessed to have leadership like Rick Lawrence, and that goes for the whole staff and and the group of elders and and the band and the volunteers we have. Uh, God has truly blessed Nags Head Church with incredible leadership, so I think it would be appropriate to show our appreciation to them this morning. Thank you, staff. Thank you, staff and elders and all, you know who you are. Um, you know, I got to realize that these are some big shoes to fill. Rick Lawrence and his incredible teacher and preacher. Then I thought, as I looked at my calendar, the Sunday he wants me to preach is the Sunday after Easter. Now, you talk about a tough act to follow, but we'll see what happens. And uh, before we begin, I want to uh, thank a group. We've got a group visiting uh, with us uh, all the way from Virginia, a Colossi Baptist Church from, the, uh, I think, the West Point area. Uh, are y'all here? Raise your hand if you're here. Okay. How about that? Let's, let's let, make them feel at home. And if uh, you don't know where West Point is, you go out and ask one of them, okay, in that area. But um, hey, let me pray, then we'll get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, again, I want to thank you for this great morning, for the time of worship, and uh, just for being able to be alive and, 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 and able to move about and just be out on this beautiful day. Lord, you've blessed us in so many ways. We are so thankful for Rick for our staff and for our elders and for those who come make worship and church life possible here. We know ultimately it's from you, but we thank you for your servants. And I pray, Lord, now as we look into your word, as I speak, that you'd get me out of the way because I surely don't have anything to say that's worth uh, even mentioning. So I just pray you would use me, Lord, this morning. So thank you again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, um, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, but my wife, Lori, and I um, found out that we were, that we were pregnant uh, way back when, okay, not any time recently, uh, but uh, uh, a few years ago, and it was in a miracle in and of itself because the doctors had told us that we couldn't have children. And so back in 1998, um, actually it was Lori's birthday, she found out she was a month pregnant. So we were pretty shocked, picked ourselves up off the floor. And uh, we're really excited that uh, she was with child. And so we did, we started doing everything that uh, I guess expecting parents are supposed to do. We read through all the material, you know, what to expect when you're expecting. We took, uh, I remember a birthing class, which was uh, fairly informative. I don't know where else you would learn the proper breathing technique to help your wife in labor. Still haven't figured that one out. But um, we learned all that type of stuff. And I remember the day we went to the doctor's office and finally saw that heartbeat and that sonogram. That was an awesome thing. And we found out they were having a girl. And we were so excited. So, of course, the next thing we did was go to Babies R Us and spend the whole morning trying to figure out all the furniture, the paint, the toys, all that stuff that you do when you're preparing the baby's room. And so we got back, and it maybe took a day and a half 
uh, to transform that normal average room to a fully stocked, prepared, nicely painted, and well done nursery. So, hey, we were good to go with that. And I also remember getting one of those humongous, I don't know if you've seen these, these books of baby names that are just so thick. And Lori and I were looking one night in it, and, and we ended up in the biblical section of biblical names. And to be honest, we were kind of laughing at all these big, long names you see in the Old Testament. We're like, what mom and dad would name their children this? And uh, then we, we hit it. We found a name that I just said, hey, this is the name. And Lori said, that is it. We found the name for our little girl. And so the name Chloe stuck. And we loved that. And, and uh, I just remember as the time started getting closer for the baby to be delivered, I'd look and see, you know, the baby move and Lori's stomach. I'm like, that is so awesome. And I would read and talk. To, and people probably would have thought I was crazy seeing me, but I'd be praying and talking and, uh, you know, reading to uh, this little one and, and, and her mom's tummy. And uh, it was an exciting time. Well, the due date came, September 14th. The due date came and then it went. And we're like, okay, Chloe, it's time to come out now. But I tell you what, we had the bags packed. We had the route from Wake Forest to carry to where the baby was to be delivered. We had that figured out. And it was almost a miracle in itself that we got there on a Monday morning in in Raleigh traffic. But the day finally came. We drove, and on September 21st at uh, 2.20 in the afternoon, little Chloe Elizabeth came into the world, and we were so excited. And, uh, you know, uh, while uh, it was an incredible time, uh, you know, I forgot to mention that while uh, Lori was in labor trying to focus and, and just think through what was about to happen, I was doing what any good dad and coach would do. I was at the refrigerator making sure we were stocked up with snacks and drinks. We had to make sure that was taken care of to uh, take care of uh, us and our guests who were coming. So it was a great time, one that we'll never forget. And um, you know what? We spent about three days in the hospital just enjoying this little baby and, and all the attention the nurses were giving us and just, just marveling at that time. And then I remember taking Lori and Chloe home. And uh, it was really interesting to drive back. We got to the, we got to the curb, and uh, I took Lori out, and I had, I had Chloe in one of those big old carry things. And we wa- went up the driveway and opened the door, and there we were. And I got to thinking to myself, After all that had happened, an interesting thought. What now? What am I supposed to be doing? I mean, there was no way I was supposed to be prepared. I mean, what in the world does a daddy really do? I mean, we had we had read all the stuff you're supposed to read. We had gotten all the advice and preparation, but yet that does not truly prepare you for what is to about to come. There's nothing like on-the-job experience, right? And so that's what we were uh, focusing on. But I got to thinking several times that day. What now? What do we do? And uh, have you ever been in a situation like that where you got in a, gotten in a, in a particular experience or situation and you're like, what are we supposed to do now? Well, I kind of think that maybe the apostles, that the disciples are probably asking themselves, what now? Uh, as Jesus was being taken up into heaven. Now, remember last week we celebrated Easter. We knew all that that entailed. But uh, just think about it for a minute. Put yourselves in the disciples' shoes that last few weeks with Jesus and the incredible roller coaster of emotion and expectations that they went through. First, if you will, go back to me to that Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna, glory to God, and people throwing palm branches down and putting their jackets for him uh, on the ground. And he rode into Jerusalem and people were so excited and jubilant and celebrating. And some people were probably thinking, hey, it's time. Jesus is going to kick those Romans out of here. We're going to take the kingdom back. 
And um, think about that week as it progressed. All the things they went through, all the things they saw, which eventually led up to that Thursday. Remember where they celebrated, uh, started to celebrate the Passover, but Jesus had his last supper with his friends, with his disciples. And even then, he would continue to drop little hints about what was to come. And put yourself in their shoes when uh, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, when the Judas came and planted that kiss on Jesus and those soldiers came to arrest him and all the chaos and, and just all the, the craziness about that moment and how that happened and how the followers scattered all about. And think about what they would have thought when they saw their master and their savior, their best friend, being taken before all those people, uh, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and just all the folks that he saw that fateful day and how he was beaten and how he was tortured and finally crucified. Think about it. What they must have been feeling when they saw their Savior, their Lord, being crucified and that his body hanging on a cross. And think about how they took him off the cross and they prepared him for burial and then they put him in that tomb on that Friday afternoon and they put the stone in front of it. I mean, you talk about devastation, utter despair. What they must have been feeling, I just can't even begin to think, think through. And as low and as bottom of the barrel as they probably felt then, think about Sunday when they got the news that, wait a minute, the stone was rolled away and Jesus isn't in there. Think about all the anticipation and excitement of, well, what's going on? And then what if Jesus himself and his resurrected body appeared right in front of you? You talk about going from bottom of the bottom to the highest of the highs. And those 40 days that they spent with Jesus and, and, and him teaching them and instructing them, and all that they went through those 40 days. And then finally, Jesus gets taken up into heaven. And here are those ragtag band of disciples and followers who were just scared to death and scattered about now in charge with an incredible ministry and an incredible mission. I, mean, I can see, I don't know about you, but in my mind's eye, I can see Peter looking over to James and John. Hey, guys, what in the heck are we supposed to do now? I mean, with all the things that they had just uh, gone through, now that they were by themselves with Jesus gone up into heaven. Well, you know what? That's not a bad question to ask ourselves here in 2011. What are we supposed to be doing now? What is exactly our mission? And you know what? We're going to find that out this morning. First of all, through, through our first passage, which comes from uh, the book of Acts in your New Testament. You may have your Bible. You can start to turn there. You may not have a Bible. There's maybe some in your vicinity, so you could pull one out. And if you don't have that, then you can look up on the screen because we'll have it for you as well. But uh, you can begin to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick up and verse 8. And this is our good friend, Dr. Luke, uh, the uh, writer of this, this uh, passage. Uh, his encounter, his account of Jesus' final encounter with his disciples, and it included an important and powerful message. Okay, so here we go. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Wow. The followers back then didn't have a whole lot of time to scratch their heads and figure out, hey, what are we supposed to be doing based on that one passage? Um, 
they were right there immediately given uh, some instructions, uh, specifically by Jesus. Um, First of all, he says that they will be his witnesses starting in Jerusalem and expanding to the ends of the earth. But but again, I mean, if I was a betting guy, I wouldn't really put any money on this group of guys and girls, again, who had just been scattered, who'd been scared to death, uh, who were just probably in an emotional wreck of a state. Jesus just left the Lord of the universe and entrusted his mission to these folks. I wouldn't put a whole lot of money on that thing getting off the ground. Uh, but we will see what happens. How can they possibly do Jesus's mission? How can we possibly do Jesus's mission today? If you look at the Greek word, it's dunamis. What does that sound like? That sounds like dynamite. That's the kind of power that is at our disposal through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's the kind of power that God allows us to have. Now, that comparison maybe breaks down a little bit because as powerful as as a building coming down, um, and you think about explosions and dynamite and the destruction of buildings and blasting holes in mountains, God's power is, is power used to heal, to bring back to life, to create the universe. So uh, the comparison may not be an exactly great one, but I wanted you at least to see a picture of what kind of power is at our disposal. That dynamite, that dunamis power, uh, that shows a prominent, defined display of force. This also this verse talked about that this isn't some power that we just kind of conjure up or that we go to our bedroom and try to focus and channel this energy. It's only available through the Holy Spirit, through God himself, allowing us to have access to that. It's not something that it's a natural thing that we just, again, kind of come up on our own. It's a supernatural thing. Left our own, pow- our own power and devices, we're not going to get a whole lot accomplished for the kingdom of God, my friends. But Hey, it's, the, uh, it's unbelievable what we can do when God is, is using us. And guess what? Uh, you may be asking, what really kind of power is this? The scholars think that it took this early group of uh, a few followers of Jesus when he left about 35 years to reach the entire civilized end of the world back then in their day to spread the gospel. Now, that's a pretty good type of power if you ask me that they were able to accomplish that much. And guess what? Here's another surprise, another secret. If you are a Christ follower, if you are a believer right here this morning, you have that at your disposal. Can you believe it? Back a few weeks ago, Pastor Rick talked about, um, as part of his series on ancient foundations, who the Holy Spirit is and tried to clear up some misconceptions and and wrong thinking about who who it really is. And he talked about how if you're a believer, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that same power is available to us. Is that unbelievable or what? Uh, I think it is. And uh, that allows us to be his witnesses, okay? The next word I want to focus on is the term witness, and that's taken from the Greek word martos, okay? And martos may sound familiar, M-A-R-T-O-S. That's where we get the word for martyr in our vocabulary from, and that has come to uh, mean somebody who's willing to give up his own life uh, for his faith. And if you look at uh, our friends from the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary, they will define witness as this. One who chooses to suffer or die for his or her beliefs. Also, it involves giving one's whole life and even giving up one's life for something one has seen and heard. Now, that's a serious commitment. That's not just something you decide to do. That is, you are all in. There is no turning back. That's the kind of commitment that Jesus is looking for us as his followers to carry out his mission, for us to deny ourselves, take up his cross, 
and follow him. We are to be witnesses to what Jesus has done for us and in our experiences to a world that increasingly is more confused and doesn't have a clue, spiritually speaking. So where are we to do this? Well, you know what? Jesus even gave us a clue with that in that scripture we talked about from Acts 1. He first mentions Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Think of it this way. Where do you live? Where is your address? That is where you begin. That is where you start with your witness, with your serving Christ. And then you think about what does this Judea and Samaria mean? That is your area. For us here, you can think of it the whole Outer Banks area or even northeast North Carolina. And of course, the ends of the earth it may look a little different today than it did 2,000 years ago, but you understand the significance of that. And you may say again, well, what does this really mean? Well, again, think about where you live. That's where you to start. Most of you work and either have sports or have relations or, or business in the whole area here over the, the whole northeast North Carolina area. So probably we've got that covered pretty well. And Nags Head Church does an incredible job of not just here locally, but throughout this area of doing things like Operation Backpack and providing dinners for our lifeguards and serving here in a practical way, meeting needs with giving the opportunity of sharing Christ. Uh, and then you think of the ends of the earth. Uh, I can't think of any more ends of the earth than Nepal where Tammy Stump has been building that orphanage and serving Christ uh, through those kids and serving the adults there and those kids in that orphanage. So I think Nags Head Church as a whole has done a great job of giving this as an example of what does this really mean? What is this mission that Jesus has called us to do? And the last part of this passage indicates that, you know what, Jesus, he's coming back. Now, we don't really know when this is going to happen. A lot of people have been trying to figure that out for a very long time. But we do know this, take it to the bank. He is coming back. So that should give us a sense of urgency and compel us to be about, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're going, to be, keep in mind, how can I serve Christ today? Where can, I, where can I be a witness for him? And that doesn't necessarily always mean going to somebody and say, hey, man, come to Christ or you're going to hell. <laughs> hitting them over the head with that. That's not probably the most effective way, uh, but there are several ways to be about witnessing for him and serving him. So what does this mission look like, really? I think you can take a look at our next passage, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so if you will begin turning there, or again, you can follow along on the screen, we're going to find out exactly what is this mission that Jesus has left for us to do. And the cool thing is this, he left this for them again some 2,000 years ago, but it's the same mission today that we have in 2011. So 2 Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse 16. From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way, even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we we no longer know him like that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. Now everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we may become the righteousness of God in him. So what is our mission, Nags Head Church or Colossae Baptist Church? What is our mission? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, from that, 
I think we get the word reconcile, to reconcile the world. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think we better pay close, close attention because in that one short passage, those five verses, the term reconcile or reconciliation is used five times. So it must be pretty important. So what does that mean? Well, checking back with our friends from Merriam-Webster on the online dictionary, you'll see that reconcile can be defined as to restore friendship or harmony or to settle or resolve. Again, it's listed there in the dictionary, uh, reconcile, meaning to restore friendship or harmony or to settle or resolve. So really, some may be saying, are we in that kind of a position where we've got to fix our relationship to God? Are things that bad that there has to be reconciliation between us and God? Better believe it because of the sin problem. But what I love about this is this is how we can take care of that. One part in that verse I love, it talks about us becoming new creations when we accept Christ. Can you believe that? That's incredible. We don't just, when we become Christians, now a lot of churches use different terminology, being saved, being born again, accepting Christ. But whatever that process that that you may have a, a term for, when we accept Christ, We don't just become an old, cleaned-up version of ourselves. We become an entirely, totally different new person altogether from the inside out. Now, you talk about a miracle. That is incredible. And the Bible says if we have have accepted Christ, that's what happens. And it even says, the Bible and another passage says that we go from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. That's what happens in that process of becoming a Christian, of being a Christ follower. That is some good news, if you ask me. That is what the gospel is all about. So our mission, which Jesus mentioned in that other passage in Acts 1, and then also in that great commission passage of Matthew 28, is summed up in that one word, reconciliation. And that whole thing solves that problem of us being separated from God. God bestows his righteousness to us through Christ dying on the cross. You talk about a good deal. I think that's a very good deal. We become righteous, not of our own works, but because God gives it to us through the Lord. Now, when we become reconciled, and by going through that whole process, the Bible talks about being ambassadors, being representatives of the Lord. Now, some of you, when you hear in the news about ambassadors, you think of a guy in a three-piece suit, Uh, sitting in an office somewhere with like paperwork stacked to the ceiling trying to get things done. But uh, to me, I get excited thinking about what ambassadors really do. Uh, They are authorized to speak on behalf of their entity or their homeland, and they're empowered to carry out its functions or duties in another place. Now, again, when you think of ambassadors, you may not think of me, but I had a chance to be an ambassador one time, if you can believe that. Uh, My wife and I lived in Atlanta back in 1996, and would you know, that's when the Olympics were held. And uh, God worked out, again, it's a long story, but God worked out an opportunity for me to work for the Atlantic Committee for the Olympic Games. And my duty was to be with Atlantic Broadcasting, uh, the Olympic, Atlanta Olympic Broadcasting, and I was in charge of making sure that the basketball, gymnastics, and handball and the Georgia Dame was properly videotaped and archived. And so that was a pretty good job. Uh, they gave us that, you know, that uniform with the little circles and the pants, and I had to wear that every single day. So it's a good thing they gave us three of each. But um, they gave us this uniform so that if we were identified in town, people could come up to us and ask us questions if they were lost, if they needed to know where the bathroom was, or if they needed to have information. We were to represent the city of Atlanta, and the whole Olympic organization, and I would put my best foot forward and put a smile on my face and would do my best to help these people out. 
Well, you think about being an ambassador for that. How much more awesome is it to be ambassador for Jesus Christ? I mean, that is incredible. And if you are a Christian, that is what we're to do. It's a privilege. It's not a duty or necessary responsibility. But you know what? It is an awesome opportunity. Uh, ministry, being a minister of, of reconciliation, is not just the sole work of our paid ministers and staff. A lot of people are under the false impression, unless you've got a theological seminary background or that you're paid by a church, you can't be involved in ministry. You can't serve. And you know, similarly speaking, a lot of people are under the false impression that in order to be a, uh, a witness, you've got to go to the foreign mission field. Or again, you've got to have a seminary training or a background. You know what? You just simply make yourself available where you are, and God will use you. And again, some people are intimidated or scared. Well, what do I really say? How can I bring up that conversation? What am I supposed to do? But you know what? Guaranteed. Well, try this. For the next week, I want you to pray specifically for God to use you. And you may, you, chances are you have friends and coworkers that need to be served or ministered to or witnessed to in some way. Be praying that God would give you that opportunity. And if you do that on a regular, constant basis, watch out for those divine appointments because they will come. Because you know what? You've got people all over your sphere of influence that need to know the hope that we have, that need to be served. And you know what? Sometimes you may serve them in a way that leads an opportunity for you to share your faith. And other times God will give you an opportunity right there at school, on your team, wherever else to go ahead and do that. But you know what situations you're in. You don't have to be perfect and have all the answers. God is just looking for faithful, available people who want to be used by him. <coughs> one verse that kind of helps me, excuse me, one verse that kind of helps me as I think through this, because I can get intimidated sometimes. I work for FCA, and that's what God has allowed me to do, serving athletes and coaches and a lot of folks in the schools and through the area. Uh, sometimes it's, it can be intimidating when you've got to get out of your comfort zone and go up to somebody and start sharing the gospel. But then I'm reminded of a verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but he gave us a spirit of power. That is that power again. Power, love, and self-discipline, or your version may say a sound mind. That gives me confidence and allows me to have that authority to go and represent the Lord. I don't have to be scared necessarily, uh, even though it can be, but we can have boldness when we're representing God, when we're serving him, because we've got the best news there is, the best news there is to offer. And so look, we've got this incredible message. We've got this awesome power available at our disposal. So why doesn't the spiritual landscape look any differently than it does? Um, people are looking for spiritual answers, but they necessarily aren't going to the Bible as an authority or coming to check out our churches, generally speaking, to find the answers. And there was, I don't know how much stock you put in surveys, but you see a lot of the surveys that talk about church life and people believing in God and how that's kind of uh, going down. I recently heard one around here, which I'm not so sure how true it is, but still it's kind of staggering that 3 to 5% of people living on the Outer Banks are churched. 3 to 5%. Now, even if that's somewhere close, there's a lot of people who aren't involved in church, which means to me there aren't a lot of people who are interested at all in the things of God. Uh, and so that to me is, a, is somewhat depressing. Why the disconnect? Why the irrelevance and the ineffectiveness? Well, we're going to look at our final passage today and maybe find out some of the reasons 
for why our churches, generally speaking, can be ineffective and unproductive. Now, that's not to say that there are churches out there that are doing a great job, that are reaching people, that are sending missionaries, that are serving in their communities, because there are, and I thank God for them. But if you look across the landscape from a total picture, a lot of, a lot of things to be concerned about. Uh, our third passage will come from 2 Peter chapter 1, so you can make your way there, or again, follow on the screen if you'd like. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3 begins like this. For his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us a very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. And here's a key part. Pay close attention to this. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement or add to your faith Uh, to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted, and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So I think the great apostle Peter has given us an idea of why sometimes we can be ineffective and unproductive in the mission that Jesus has given to us. Part key of this thing is this. Remember, it's not all up to us, too. We don't have the power within ourselves and the answers. It's got to be God working through us allowing us to be his messengers. It comes from God, but he uses us anyway. And what's funny, think about it. Um, if he wanted to, God to, at the point of conversion, could have raptured us, zipped us up to heaven, and we wouldn't have to worry about being here and dealing with things anymore. He could have done that, but he chose not to. He allowed us to be here and to serve him and to love him, to be conformed to his likeness and to be used to do his great work, to, his, to do his great ministry. We're just the messengers. Uh, But we need to be equipped if we want to live godly lives and be an example. We've got to be proactive in growing our faith and helping increase those several qualities which are listed right here. And we're going to go over those real quick. First of all, you have faith. Obviously, faith is where it all starts. Uh, That point of conversion, it takes faith in Christ to receive that free gift that God offers us. But then it doesn't stop there, does it? The Christian life is all about keeping your faith and growing in your faith and seeing how God is going to work things out in your life. It's a continual thing of being grounded in your faith. Um, obviously, Hebrews 11 talks about it being the reality of what's hoped for, the proof of what it isn't seen. And then uh, Peter tells us to add to your faith goodness. And here it means an ethical, it's an ethical term meaning moral excellence, being good, obviously. It's that virtue. Then from your faith, you add that goodness, and then you add knowledge. And knowledge is wisdom and discernment, which comes through studying the Word, being in the Bible, and going through experiences and allowing God to use you of being, seeing that happen. Then to your knowledge, you add self-control, which talks about a mastery of personal desires and passions, being able to have control over things when, when it gets kind of crazy. Um, self-control isn't easy, but how about Perseverance. You talk about being careful what you ask for. Perseverance is patience. It's maintaining your Christian faith through trying times. And we're all going to go through those trying times. Uh, But it's keeping uh, that perseverance where it needs to be. Not just keeping it there, but growing in that. After perseverance, uh, Peter mentions godliness. 
And that's just respecting God, resulting in obedience. Or you think of God, you think of mercy and grace, trustworthiness, love. That's what we should be in our walk. We should continuously grow in those qualities and those characteristics. And then you add to godliness, mutual affection. That comes from the Greek word phileo, which where they named the city of Philadelphia after. It's uh, the term meaning brotherly love. And you think about the early church, how they took care of each other. They shared their belongings and their, their food, and they prayed for one another. They had each other's back. That's what Christians should be known for, is to show that kind of love, that brotherly love to each other. And then finally, I think the apex, uh, the, the final thing we need to make sure we're, we're growing in is that agape love. It's listed here as love, and your translation may be love, but it's got the term for agape, which is a Greek word, the kind of love that God shows for us, even when we turn our backs on him, that unconditional, that unbelievable love that's at our, that God shows tor- towards us. Um, it's an incredible type of love that, again, we as believers should be characterized by. Now, the key part is to, again, show these in increasing order. How do you do that? Again, by spending time in the Word, by having that quiet time, by spending time in prayer, by being engaged and active in the life of the church. That's an important thing. And you know what? I think if you do these things, especially if you spend more time with the Lord, then sharing our faith, witnessing, serving others is just going to be almost... I say a natural byproduct, it's not natural, but it'll be a byproduct. It'll come about almost naturally. You won't really have to even think about it if you're really concerned with the things of the Lord and you're doing your best to serve him. Uh, God's going to allow that to happen. So here we are back to that question, what now? I think God has given us that answer through these passages of being involved in that mission that God has sent through Jesus Christ, being that re- me- bringing that message of reconciliation, being that ambassador. And history, as we close, is just chock full of people who have done this. And uh, I've put a few folks, if you want to see what a witness looks like, we, first we have a guy named St. Patrick. You may think that this guy's just got a holiday na- named after him, but uh, if you look back at his story, what an incredible life spent serving God, and basically almost the whole nation of Ireland was changed because of this one man's faithfulness to completing that mission. Then we have a guy, William Carey. People call him the father of modern missions. Uh, He founded the Baptist Missionary Society and got uh, the the Christian world to change their thinking about reaching people in the the ends of the earth, taking the gospel uh, around the world to try to reach people who've never heard of him. He was a missionary to India and translated the Bible into all kinds of languages. Uh, We have Amy Carmichael, who was also a missionary to India and opened an orphanage and did incredible ministry 55 years without taking one furlough, one break. She was on the field for a very long time and God used her in incredible ways. Many of you may know the next one, Lottie Moon. It's what our Christmas offering, it's who our Christmas offering is named after. She was a missionary to China, and though she was only four foot three, she had an incredible impact to the people in China and made incredible inroads there. We have Hudson Taylor, a guy who was also a missionary to China for 51 years. He founded uh, the China Inland Mission. We have a guy named David Livingstone. You may read about him in your history books, but what you won't read about that he was a great missionary, a medical missionary there in, in Africa as he was exploring the landscape there. We have a guy named Jim Elliott. Many of you may remember him. Uh, he was a missionary with four others to the Wadoni people, and he was killed as he was trying to share Christ with uh, that, that tribe there. And he was quoted as saying, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose, that which he cannot lose. 
But here's two things I want you to remember. Uh, For every face you see, for every person that you read about in the history books, there are countless others that you will never know about because they were either martyred for their faith or they were in a society or situation where people didn't have a chance to get to know them and write about them. So there are so many people who have given it all up, who have taken this mission seriously. Second thing is, even though as I realize that I think most of these people could be considered foreign missionaries, don't fall into that trap of thinking, in order for me to honor the Lord and to serve him, I've got to go somewhere overseas. You just can't, don't gun into that mindset. You can serve Christ right now where you're at. Whether you're at First Flight High School or in your job or in your travels, you can honor and serve him. So, I want you to remember that. As we close, the answer to now what? Three takeaways I want you to remember. Three takeaways you can fill out on your outline. First, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit and live in obedience to God's word so we can do what Jesus commands. Be his witnesses. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit and live in obedience to God's word so you can do what Jesus commands. Be his witnesses. Secondly, with God's power, that dunamis power, anything is possible. We can be his ambassadors with our lives and words crying out, be reconciled to God. That's what everything we should be about was to hopefully accomplish that mission. And third and finally, to be effective and productive, we need to grow in our walk with Christ. There's no other way around it. If you want to be an effective and productive witness, you have got to grow in your walk with Christ. And we're going to be, uh, not next week, but the following week, Next Head Church is going to be having our missions fair where maybe many of you, as you're challenged during this message, are thinking, well, how can I get involved? A week after next, you'll have some great opportunities to hit some, op- some, some ministry opportunities to be engaged in. And to you folks from Virginia, as you go back to your home and to your school and to where you work, I know there are plenty of opportunities there that you can fit right in where God wants you, where he wants to place you to serve him. So don't, don't go walk around with your eyes closed. Be asking God, how can I serve you? What can I, what can I do for you here? So I'm gonna close this in prayer. And as I pray, I'm gonna just give you an opportunity just to think for a minute about maybe what God is leading you to do at this point. Certainly, if you are not reconciled with the Lord, then get that settled this morning. Come to Christ. Accept his free gift of salvation. For those of you who are Christ followers, think about maybe what God has has been talking to you about, ways you can be involved, of trusting him, of not being fearful and afraid to be his witness, but to engage in where God has placed you. So uh, bow your heads with me, please. Lord, again, I want to thank you for this gorgeous morning and a chance to look into your word and to see what your mission is for us. As those apostles maybe asked, now what do we do? And maybe we have asked that recently. Now what are we supposed to be about? Uh, We have gotten, uh, I hope, a clear message from you about being ministers of reconciliation, of representing you in a lost and dying world. And we don't have to go to Africa. We can do it right here. So, Lord, for those who have not experienced reconciliation with you, I pray that you would just move on their hearts and that you would lead them to yourself and they would pray to receive you. And for those that are Christ followers, I pray uh, that they would see the opportunities before them of where you've placed them. So, Lord, continue to move in our midst. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.